I'd like to begin this episode of the Discover the Word podcast with a story. Okay, so what kind of story would you call this? One morning, my senior year in college, I was riding my moped to class, and I was definitely not dressed warmly enough for a really cold October morning. And I thought I had enough gas, but obviously I didn't because I ran out probably five blocks from the gas station. There I stood, freezing cold and not wanting to leave my moped and get it stolen, but not sure I had any other options. And suddenly a truck, I think it was from a landscaping business or something, pulled over and pulled the gas can out of the back of the pickup and he filled up the tank on my moped. He waved, told me, have a nice day, and drove off. I never got his name, but honestly, I will never forget him. Yeah, that is a, it's a good Samaritan story, isn't it? Do you have a story similar to that that you could tell where someone showed exceptional kindness to you or maybe where you were able to help someone in need? Well, for our next two Discover the Word podcasts, be part of the group as we look at the original Good Samaritan story, the parable Jesus told. Me and my neighbor begins next. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Great to have you at the table with us. And for this study, it is Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder who will be looking at one of the very familiar parables or stories Jesus told. These parables were a main device he used in his teaching, and the group will talk about that. And then focus on Luke chapter 10, where this story about the Good Samaritan is found. Now, that is a term, Good Samaritan, that is still used today, isn't it? Like to describe that person who stopped to help someone stranded alongside the road. And so it will be good to explore together what Jesus was teaching and how that affects our lives today. In this series, we're going to call Me and My Neighbor. And what we'll do is spend one podcast talking about the different characters in Jesus' story. And then in part two, focus on being like the Good Samaritan and maybe redefining our understanding of being neighborly. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and pull your chair in close with Mart and Elisa and Bill. Uh, Elisa will be leading this time, and so she begins with this question. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, be a Good Samaritan? Well, the Good Samaritan part, oddly enough, I know that there's an RV club for people who travel around in RVs, and it's the Good Sam Club, where they kind of look out for each other and take care of each other, you know. So I know there's that. I didn't know about that. That's kind of fun to hear. How about you, Mart? Anything come to mind? It can feel like a sense of duty. Mm. It can feel like a sense of obligation. Is there a heaviness to it, maybe? It can be. Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, that was what came to mind just now. Yeah. I've heard the phrase used in news reports or whatever, you know, and a good Samaritan mm. stopped or a good Samaritan came forward. And it's interesting because mm. it's a phrase that comes from Scripture, and yeah. it's very old, if yeah. you will, and yet it has a current meaning. Yeah, which I think is part of the mixed feelings that I would have right now, because obviously if we all love to be a Good Samaritan in the right time, and looking mm-hmm. back and say, that was a moment, real, I feel alive, that's what I'm made for. The other side of it is, what are the implications of being, and today the risks are huge. Yeah. They are. 
They are. It's scary to think about being a good Samaritan because you feel like, you know, maybe you could be set up and this Mm -hmm. isn't a safe place. But this concept of a good Samaritan, you know, I want to tee this up this week and for next week, too, as we go look at a very famous slash familiar even passage of Scripture where Jesus teaches on who is a neighbor, who is a neighbor, who is a good neighbor. And he ends up answering that with the Samaritan character. Anyway, the series is called Me and My Neighbor. And we're going to look at the parable of the, quote, good Samaritan, where this phrase is actually coined from. Mm -hmm. It's in Luke chapter 10. And the first week, we're going to look at the characters in this story, because there are several, you know, five specific characters. And next week, we'll look more at the acts of this person who was a good Samaritan in Jesus' definition. But first, let's start off with the story itself. And we're going to start off with a character who I'm going to call the questioner, one who brings a question to Jesus. So let's listen for who's the questioner and what question do they pose. Let's just read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 29. We won't read the whole parable today. We'll just begin to get acquainted with it. Can y'all pull that up? Got it. Go ahead, Mark. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And then the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Hmm. Okay, so Jesus, this is a really rich passage, and now we're all hungry for what comes next. But I want to pause for a minute, and let's get into this particular character, the questioner. You know, this is a parable. The parable of the Good Samaritan is what the subtitle says in my Bible. Well, what is a parable to remind us here? Well, a parable, you know, one definition of a parable is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a story along beside, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a long metaphor, an extended metaphor where you have this down-to-earth, real-life thing that's presenting something bigger. Or it can be something that sounds just like a story, but it's laid alongside our real-life experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to try to help us to see ourselves through the eyes and the windows of this story. Yeah, it's something every day, but it has a deeper spiritual meaning. Um, And parables were used by Jesus to teach. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they were used to hide spiritual truths from people who weren't interested, to make you dig around a little bit and care mm-hmm. about it. This kind of feels like that situation. The context here of Luke 10, what's just happened prior to this story? Well, Jesus had commissioned and empowered 70 of his followers to go out and to do all kinds of amazing things and to preach about the kingdom. And they had just come back and shared all that had happened while they were on this effectively missions trip. Right. And then what follows this story, the parable of the Good Samaritan? Okay, the story of Jesus visiting Mary and Martha. Great. Some commentators have suggested that the questioner could have been actually asking this question in that setting. We have no idea, but it's kind of interesting to think about. In the setting of what? In the setting of where Jesus is teaching at the home of Mary and Mm -hmm. Martha and Lazarus, and he's teaching and he's telling stories. He is making clear what he's there for. And Mary is commended because she's sitting at his feet learning. And anyway, some commentator thought it would be an interesting thing to think. What if the questioner was there? It doesn't matter. But what do we know about this 
questioner. Who is he? And so let's go back to the text we're looking at Mm -hmm. in verse 25. What do we know? Well, my scripture said he's an expert in the law. Marge said an expert in religious law. Mm. So this is a guy who's constantly dissecting the law of Moses ceremonially, practically, and that's his whole focus of his life. He could be a Pharisee. He was a scribe. Most were Pharisees. Some might have been Sadducees. Mm. But his job is to explain the Mosaic law and make it clear. We also have the impression he's respected, you know, that everybody in the crowd's going, that's a good question. Okay, let's see what Jesus does with this one. And really a parallel in our day, we can get close ourselves to that, can't we? What does the word say? What does the word say? Which is a wonderful thing to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. But if it's your whole life, right? Yeah, and if, what are you asking it for? You know, what's the motive of Mm -hmm. asking, what does the word say, what does the word say? And I think you're getting at it, Mart, because what we're told in verse 25 is he stood up to do what? Put Jesus to the test. Put Jesus to the test. So, you know, immediately Luke Mm -hmm. shows us a motive of his heart. Does he really want to know what, quote, the word Mm -hmm. says? Does he really want to know that? Or does he have another motive? Well, and when Jesus responds to him about what the word says, he responds, it says, wanting to justify himself. So he has first a motive to test Jesus and second, a motive to honor and justify and release himself. This is a similar question to the one that the rich young ruler asked Mm -hmm. Jesus in Luke chapter 18. And we've looked at this and it's, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in verse 26, Jesus replies, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Mm -hmm. As we look at the first character in this story, we've called him the questioner. Well, who's the real questioner? You know, is it the questioner, the lawyer, is the questioner Jesus? And it was really in terms of Jewish culture, It was a rabbinic skill. It was a teacher's Mm -hmm. skill, right? Teaching by asking questions. Right. So Jesus has a couple of teaching methods, parables, questions. Okay, verse 27, the lawyer answers after Jesus said, how do you read the law? What does the lawyer say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I thought that was really interesting because he's basically quoting Deuteronomy 6, Mm -hmm. 5, you know, this kind of threefold love the Lord with your heart, soul, and strength. But Jesus, and here Luke, uses a fourfold description of loving God. What's different about it than what is in Deuteronomy? Mind. Mind. And all your mind. Yeah. Can you guess why that was important to include here in this conversation? No, help me. (laughs) (laughs) I think what I understand is that the Greek concept for loving God with all of your being really included this fourfold description, which included the entire person, the heart, the gut, not just the head, but all of the being. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus is really getting at here. So could I ask you, would the given then be your mind? Well, certainly this scribe, this religious lawyer, that would have been his inclination because he's in a very cognitive occupation. I guess I'm asking the question because I'm wondering about myself. Is that my inclination? I think it's a cultural reality. We talk about being left brain, right brain. We talk about being creative versus more logical. You know, we are different beings. I think Jesus' point in this cultural moment is let's bring all of you to loving God. Whatever part you're most tempted to leave out, maybe it's your heart, maybe it's your mind, maybe it's your soul, maybe it's your strength. 
they all matter here. And he goes on to define that you need to love God that way by loving your neighbor. And which is interesting here for an expert in the law, he would think back to Leviticus 19. He would think back to my people, not all of the world, but just my people. I think Jesus is going to direct this conversation with this questioner to actually redefine who our neighbor is to include everybody and redefine how we love that person by loving them with all of who we are. That's what a good Samaritan is. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fascinating look at the familiar parable of the good Samaritan. Here on Discover the Word with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder, and a series titled, Me and My Neighbor. In that first segment, we kind of set the stage with the legal experts' two questions to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then, who is my neighbor? And over the course of these two podcasts, we'll examine how Jesus answers those questions with this story about the Good Samaritan. And so during the rest of this first podcast, we're going to be talking about all the characters Jesus put in this story that we find in Luke chapter 10. All right, so people in need. You see any of those lately? Yeah, there's no way you can go through a day and not. Ads for hunger relief, disaster relief, children's cancer hospitals, all legitimate appeals for help. But you really don't even have to look out there to find people who are in need. I mean, there are people at your work, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your family who are in desperate need. And so what do you do? How do you respond to all the people who could use your help? Well, Elisa wants to turn our attention to the guy in the story who obviously was in need. I'm sure this has happened to you. You're just going about your day. Maybe you're out in public or running an errand or whatever, and you run into somebody, a person in need. Hmm. What happens inside you? Well, some of it depends on the circumstances. I mean, for me, like, you know, if I'm really in a busy moment getting from here to there and it's something that I just can't duck out of and I see somebody in need, I just kind of say, man, sorry, and I just keep going. Mm -hmm. But at other times... Maybe I see somebody in need and I don't have in that moment the resources to do anything to help mm-hmm. them. And then other times you do. it all comes together and so you do something. Yeah. Can you think of a time when yeah, you Yeah, the other responded? day I was walking with a friend into the uh-huh. mall and as we came to the doors of the mall, a young man stepped out and he made his appeal to me. He says, I'm really in trouble. I just don't have any way to turn. Seems like that's happening a lot lately. Uh-huh. And what's uh-huh. interesting is I used to walk around without anything in my pockets at all. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Credit cards, but, you know, yeah. no cash at all. Uh-huh. And I got to the place where I realized, you know, that's my avoidance issue. That's interesting. That's the way I play the game. So, yeah, it's how I respond is a little bit differently than what my natural inclination has been. It in the sounds past. like you've prepared yourself in a way. I mean, like now well, I you just put... feel really awful when uh-huh. I say, "I'm sorry, I don't have anything to give them." And then there's a time when you say, "Okay, yeah, they could misuse it, but maybe they're really needed too." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then for me to walk away, I'm just mm-hmm. I feel like I'm really torn apart at that moment. Mm-hmm. Said, you know, I just really have failed that not only that person. But what I want to be is... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a way to be prepared for those moments. I can remember hearing a story of Dr. Howard Hendricks, who was an esteemed professor of, I think, Christian living at Dallas Seminary. Back a while, he's since gone to be with Jesus in heaven. But I remember how he taught this passage 
this passage of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, which is where we're spending our time in the next couple of weeks here. On the day, it became known, but at first it wasn't known, but on the day when he would unpack this passage, he would actually plant a person who was sick or hungry or impoverished on the path in the seminary that a student would have to go through in order to come into his classroom. Mm. And so the student would encounter that moment of a person in need before they came into his classroom and they unpacked that scripture together. And Dr. Hendricks did that so that he could elicit in a person exactly the feelings that you're talking That's about. That's pretty clever, isn't, isn't it? Isn't that smart? Yeah. We're looking at the characters in this story from Luke chapter 10, which is called traditionally the Good Samaritan. I think it's a story where Jesus defines and actually maybe even redefines who our neighbor is. Mm. And how we interact with our neighbor, how that somehow defines how we interact with him. This week, we're looking at the characters in the story. Yesterday, we looked at the questioner. And just quickly, what did we learn about the questioner? Well, he was an expert in religious law. He was wanting to test Jesus. And then after the dialogue about loving God and loving your neighbor, he ends up trying to justify himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when you say he was trying to test Jesus, it's kind of a loaded word, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Test. Yeah. Trip him up. Trip him up. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Get him in a corner. As you get deeper into the Gospels, this becomes more of a frequent thing where the religious leaders are trying to somehow rob Jesus of his credibility. They're looking for ways to trip him up, as you say, so that the crowds will stop following him because he's a threat to them. He's a threat to their way of life, their way of thinking, a threat to how they have interpreted God wants to be loved, God wants to be honored. It's a scary thing, and I can see myself... At times. Oh, being a Pharisee. Oh, me too. Gosh. The Pharisee and me is a, that's yeah. his permanent residence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as we go into this passage again, I want to look at a second character. And in a way, it's the main character, but in a way, it isn't. But let's read Luke chapter 10, verses uh, 25 through 30. We'll pick up at the beginning, but then we're going to go on just a verse further than we did yesterday. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Bill, you want to start us? Okay. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Hmm. This is the second character in the story, a person in need. What do we know about this man? Really, it's only in verse 30 we're told tons of information about this person. Well, the main thing we know about him is he's a victim. On a dangerous road. On a dangerous road. Now, how do we know the road's dangerous? Does it say that in Scripture? No, it says a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. How do you know that's a dangerous road? Those who have visited Israel know that the road between Jerusalem down to Jericho is a winding, desperate Mm. road with... A lot of little pockmarked caves and stuff. Right, and just all kinds of hills and places for 
criminals, apparently in that day, to hide. Good, good information, which we wouldn't know if we hadn't like done a little right. digging here. Yeah. I guess what I found out is that the road falls almost 3,000 feet mm-hmm. in 17 miles. It's it precipitous, me of that. yeah, the it, way it winds yeah. down. But of course in this day, it's not paved. You know, it's no. probably more like a path, okay? Mm-hmm. And so it's dangerous physically, and it's dangerous from... What you were saying, highwaymen, Highwaymen. robbers could hide out. That's right. It was called the bloody way in the fifth century because so many people were attacked. So Jesus is using this kind of well-known dastardly story of a setting to make his point. What kind of person would set out alone on such a stretch of highway? It's interesting because it was a well-traveled route Mm -hmm. from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. I mean, the religious people went down. It was a vacation spot. Yeah, the priest and the Levite both seem to be traveling alone, too. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much you can hang on the fact that he's traveling alone. It could be anything from the fact that uh, he didn't have time to hook up with some other group to go together. Or he was with a group, and the rest took off and ran when he got, you know. Yeah, Mm. that's... Who knows? Yeah, that's a good point. He could have been separated from his group, or maybe he was irresponsible. Maybe he was kind of cavalier, like a modern-day adolescent who thinks, oh, you know, (laughs) nobody can touch me. We don't know, but he is by himself. What else do we find out about him? He's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And what did they do? They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Wow, that word stripped actually means plundered. Yeah, they took everything of value, and by taking his clothes, I mean, it's almost like they not only took everything of value, they took everything else, too. Exactly. And if he had any money, any jewelry, anything valuable, whatever he had, they plundered. They took. They ransacked him, and they took it on. They Mm -hmm. plundered. They took whatever he could have used. He's beaten. That's a loaded word. We began this chat about who he was by saying he was a victim. A victim is someone who could be hurt physically, But definitely when you've been victimized, there is a violation of your emotion, of your soul, of your being. Mm -hmm. Tough, tough. Mm -hmm. And that's often more difficult to recover from Mm -hmm. than even the physical part. That's the old uh, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, it's just not true because the broken bone can heal a lot easier than your heart and your emotions can. And this man has undergone that. And then we're told at the very end of verse 30, they went away, leaving him how? Half dead. You know, just for comparison's sake, I'm going to throw us here for a second. Mark, could you go to Luke chapter 22, verses 63 to 65? And Bill, could you grab John chapter 19, verse 1 and 2? And I want us to listen to the language in these different passages. Luke twenty-two sixty-three to 65. Okay. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. And they blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. Okay. Then in John chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, Bill. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. The language that Luke uses in chapter 10 talking about this man in need is just as graphic as the language used of Jesus' own beating. When Luke talks about this man being beaten and they took his clothes and they went away, leaving him half dead, there is this, wow, this feeling of, my goodness, this is what our Savior would also go through. Mm -hmm. This whole point of this parable is who is my neighbor 
Jesus has talked about loving your neighbor with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the very ways in which this man in need had been victimized, his whole being. And there's a way in which we see Jesus defining who our neighbor is and defining how we love God by loving our neighbor as well. to think about as we explore this familiar story of the Good Samaritan. Because, you know, most religions say, fix yourself. And in a lot of ways, that makes sense. Try harder, do better. But as we've seen in our study today, there is really nothing that the man on the side of the road could do to fix himself. He needed a savior. And that man in need, well, that's us, isn't it? When the conversation continues, they're going to focus on another character in the parable, the uh, priest who decided not to help. Uh, Why didn't he? Of all people, why did he not stop to give aid to this man who was in obvious need? And why do we ignore people who are in obvious need all around us? Unfortunately, we're going to see ourselves in this character as well, right after this 60-second break. Your grandparents had it in their home. It's likely your mom and dad did too. For generations, families have been using our daily bread to stay connected to God's Word. And now you can continue the tradition. Daily spiritual nourishment, brief Bible readings, and inspirational stories from authors you can trust. Have the classic pocket-sized devotional sent to your home for no cost or obligation. Just call 800-535-5712 or read Our Daily Bread online at odb.org. Every day, millions around the world are carrying on the tradition of reading this popular and practical resource. Discover why so many people love Our Daily Bread. Your whole outlook on life can change when you take the time to be with God. Take a few moments each day to renew your mind and stay focused on God. To start receiving Our Daily Bread, call 800-535-5712 or go online to odb.org. That's odb.org. You've heard the term, I'm sure, being in the caring professions. Mm-hmm. What does that mm-hmm. refer to? A lot of times it refers to people in health care. Is it just social work, period? It could be, yeah, because I think you could apply it to folks who work in assisted living facilities and things of that nature yeah. as well. First responders yeah. could be. Okay, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think uh, clergy, clergy would be considered in a caring profession. That's interesting. Or, You've taken that into another category now. Yeah. yeah. Maybe even parenting is a caring profession if you really think about it because parents are nurses, they're teachers, they're caretakers, mm-hmm. they're everything. Yeah. What comes to my mind is in our conversations this week, about the parable of the Good Samaritan is who was a caring professional in this story and who was not. And it's interesting because as we're looking at the characters, we're coming today to a person who was in the caring professions. We're Mm -hmm. coming today to the priest. And yet this priest doesn't stop and help. Let's pause for a minute and review where we are. This parable of the Good Samaritan, the story that Jesus Mm -hmm. tells in Luke chapter 10. Where do we even come to this story? There's a question asked before, Mm -hmm. and we've been looking at the characters in the story. The first one we looked at was the questioner. So who is this person, the questioner? Let's review about this context here. Uh, He's an expert in religious law, right? Yeah. Spent his whole life doing nothing but trying to figure out and explain 
Moses' law. Yeah, and he was a part of a group of professionals mm. that didn't take to Jesus so much. They resented him. They thought that he was disapproving of them. They thought he was minimizing what they valued. Yeah, and what they taught. They and what did they value and teach? What the was, law. And what was the purpose of the law? It was the regulation of society according to the rules of Moses that God had handed down on the top of Mount Sinai. And what was that supposed to accomplish within Jewish society, the law? What well, was the goal? in society, it was to bring order to society, but in the individual life, it was to somehow bring them to rightness with God by fulfilling the requirements that were yeah. put before. And the result, though, was a culture of professionals who regarded themselves as righteous, you know, yeah. as the right ones. And they looked at people on the outside of their boundaries as dogs, as dirty mm -hmm. people, unclean people. So these people who, to go back to where you started off, Elisa, were in a caring profession, weren't really known for caring very much. Yeah, even among <laughs> their own people who needed help. Yeah. And, so the questioner, who was the expert in the law, we probably wouldn't ever categorize as being in a caring profession. And again, this context that is being presented is this push of the law versus the push of what Jesus came to do differently, to fulfill and to take us forward to a whole new way of living. The second character we looked at was this person in need. And what do we find out about him? He's been beaten, left half dead, plundered of everything he had, and uh, he is a person in need. Okay. And what we're told is that he's making a journey and he gets beaten up and et cetera. Now, the next folks we're going to look at in the parable are people who could have stopped but didn't. And so our focus today is the first one, and it's the priest. Mm. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And today, let's read verses 25 up to verse 31, because we want to remember, okay, okay, what's real and what's the story that Jesus is telling? Do you want to start, Mark? Okay, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Well, the man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So here, this is the real conversation. And at mm. this point, Jesus tells a story. In this real conversation between the questioner and Jesus, between the scribe or the expert in the law and Jesus, are we seeing even the right questions asked? Well, I think... There's a big issue in the first century about eternal life and how it was defined and how it was achieved. And that was kind of an ongoing debate. And even in the Gospels, you see that issue pop up several times in people's dialogue with Jesus. So that's one question. When Jesus responds to the man and says, yeah, you've answered right. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors yourself. You've answered right. This is what you need to do. When the guy comes back, I think that's where maybe it starts going off the rails because instead of saying who's my neighbor? In other words, give me an achievable goal. What he should be saying is, how can I do that? It's beyond me. There's a way in which Jesus realizes that, of course, and so he tells a parable in order to get him mm -hmm. back on track when he asks, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus in verse 30, Mark, you want to pick that up? Okay. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. 
Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Mm. Okay. So the first person down the road here who could stop doesn't, and he's a priest. What should a priest have done? Is he in the caring professions? Well, (laughs) when you look at the first century priesthood, I don't know that very many of the people standing in the crowd would have considered a priest as being in a profession that's caring. And yet they would define themselves that way, probably, that we're here looking after the sheep of God, right? the people of God. The priests were responsible for offering the sacrifices, for doing a lot of the temple-related worship stuff, which from their religious perspective might have been caring, but on a personal level, there was some distance there. That is so good. And so even those who were called to help the people be set right with God by offering sacrifices, they themselves might not be dirtying their hands. In fact, that's a great phrase, because if the priest had stopped to care for this plundered, beaten soul who was half dead on the side of the road, what would have that meant for the priest? It could have even involved a certain sense of exposing himself to uncleanness, Mm -hmm. to something that was less than ritually pure. Mm -hmm. There were 61 defilements Mm -hmm. in Jewish practice that could make you ceremonially unclean. Number one was touching a dead body. The victim is described as being half dead. I mean, if you put the priest in the best possible light Mm -hmm. for a second, he could have looked at him and maybe assumed that he was dead, and that if he went over and touched him, now he's incapable of doing his job for a while. I'll lose my usefulness to God in yeah, this nation. exactly. And this road went between Jerusalem and Jericho, so the priests and other officials would go up and down this road often. He well could have been on his way to make sacrifices, and this could have absolutely set him back through Mm -hmm. a very complicated ritual Mm -hmm. he had to undergo. There are a lot of ideas of why he maybe didn't stop. Maybe he was afraid he'd be robbed. This guy's just a a decoy. You know, he's Mm -hmm. part of the act and the robbers are waiting. Maybe he viewed it as a, well, this guy's getting his just desserts. You know, he's foolish. Bad things happen to bad people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or it could have been, too, that he was in a hurry on his way to fulfill his job and who hasn't not wanted to stop because we were on our way and especially on our way to do God's work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that way? That mm-hmm. that's what's important. The thing I'm going to for God, not this moment in front of me. All of these are reasons we don't know. And again, Jesus is making the point of telling a story in order to teach a greater truth bringing us back to that. What is the point of the parable? And how might this priest's lack Mm -hmm. of participating teach us? Well, again, the question was, who is my neighbor? And the basic opinion of first century Jews was that your neighbor was your fellow Jew, that those outside of Israel aren't your neighbor. So it's incumbent on this priest to help this man who it seems from the story is an unstated Jew But he doesn't do it, even in the most basic of cases where it seems obvious. If we were to be followers of Christ ourselves, if we were to go back and join the questioner and ask, how do I inherit eternal life? We would mean something different in our question. But our sincere question would be, how do I do God 
justice and love in my everyday act. And Jesus answers with this parable of the priest who didn't stop, who maybe got confused about what inconvenience meant. And Jesus illustrates, and we're going to see that further as he goes on with the other characters and who actually is the neighbors, that we will be closest to God. We will be in right relationship with God when we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the part of the caring that Jesus calls us all to participate in, in whatever profession we're in. Yeah, even at our own risk and at our own expense. Yeah, in that sense, we are all in a caring profession, aren't we? Well, you're listening to Discover the Word. We're talking about Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in our study called Me and My Neighbor with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study that originates in the international headquarters for Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And in that segment, we focused on the priest in the story who, surprisingly, did not stop to help the man who was in need alongside the road. Well, the next character in this parable in Luke 10 sounds a lot like the one that we were just talking about. Another religious professional runs into this man in need. And so why two characters so much alike? Well, that's what we'll find out as the conversation continues. You know, at times Jesus includes repetition in stories to underline one point or another. And sometimes he's actually subtly layering a new point. And it's really Mm -hmm. hard to tell which in different Mm -hmm. times. And that's where we are today. I'm just jumping straight into it. Mm -hmm. Why does he repeat himself? Just an example of that first, maybe, so that the listeners maybe know what you're referring to, if I'm hearing you right, would be when Jesus tells the three parables of lost things, Mm -hmm. the lost sheep, then he repeats it in a sense with the lost coin, and then he repeats it in another sense with the lost son, what we call the prodigal son. So that'd be an example, I love that. Thank you, Bill. Why does he tell something three times? What are you thinking of this time? Well, this time we're in the text in Luke chapter 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this expert in the law has come to Jesus and said, how do I inherit Mm -hmm. eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says, well, go and do that, and you'll Mm -hmm. be fine. Mm -hmm. And the man who has been trying to test Jesus and see him fail says, not how do I do this? It's impossible. How do I love somebody that much? Instead, he says, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus doesn't respond with a little list. He tells a parable. Mm -hmm. And parables teach us through illustration, Mm -hmm. spiritual truths. Mm And the parable is of a man who was beaten and robbed and left half dead and of different people who passed by. And Jesus shows just as much by who didn't stop, who Mm -hmm. wasn't a neighbor, as he does in the end point of saying this person was a neighbor. Mm. So yesterday we looked at one person who didn't stop. And what did we see there? A priest. A priest who... uh may have had legitimate grounds in thinking that the guy was dead and by touching a dead body, he'd be ceremonially unclean. But if you take the parable of face value, Jesus doesn't seem to be presenting him in a positive light. No. Jesus seems to be presenting him as somebody who's shirking an opportunity to mm-hmm. show love to someone. And we can say by putting the best face on him, as you've indicated, he was probably preoccupied with mm-hmm. all the details and mm-hmm. the rules that surrounded his In profession. In the very least, yeah. You know. That's good. But here's where I got 
confused or even interested. I saw this pop in that he tells the story of the priest didn't stop, but then he goes on and he talks about a second person who didn't stop, and it seems very similar to the priest. So let's read this. In fact, let's read just the parable, Luke 10, verses 30 to 32, and see these characters as Jesus describes them. Okay, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Hmm. Now, passed by on the other side is exactly what the priest did, right? The other side of the road? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he crossed over to the other side of the road so that he wouldn't even be in proximity to Hmm. the guy. Okay, so so too... A Levite, Mm -hmm. when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Except for one tiny little phrase, this is exactly the same Mm -hmm. sentence. There is a verb that, as I was reading this, it uses that he went toward the man in need. He saw him more closely than the priest, but then he also... Yeah, the New Living Translation says a temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there. Okay, okay. But he also passed on the other side, Mm. yeah. Okay, a Levite, and your translation, the New Living... It says a temple assistant. What do we know about the role of the Levite? Well, some of the Levites were specifically charged with the music and worship part of temple ceremony. And so there were Levitical singers, Levitical instrumentalists. I mean, a big part of their role was that, and that would make them, in a sense, a temple assistant where the priests were doing the sacrifices and the Levites were doing all the support stuff. That's a great way to put it. In fact, the Levites, as I understand them, served the priests in Mm -hmm. some way, kind of like an assistant, a temple assistant. You know what's just hitting me here? And the questions I'm raising is, why did Jesus have both the priest and the Levite to show who was not a neighbor? I wonder if the Levite was actually assisting the priest on the road. Hmm. I wonder if they're traveling together. We don't know. Yeah, I don't know. As far as, you know, why the repetition, there are a couple of thoughts that I had. One thought is that um, this is a very typical Jewish teaching model, and we see this Mm -hmm. even in the Proverbs and in the Psalms and so forth, teaching by repetition. You know, you have parallelism as a part of Hebrew poetry where you say it, then you say it again differently, Mm -hmm. either in opposite or Mm -hmm. in similar words, but repetition is a big part of the teaching style. But I read one time that maybe the reason why Jesus uses a priest and a Levite is that this was a typical storytelling model Mm -hmm. used among the common people. They would tell these stories all Mm -hmm. the time. And because they had such disregard and disdain for the religious establishment because they were so aloof from the common people. They would tell these stories where it would start off with a priest and he'd be a bad guy. And then it would go to a Levite and he'd be a bad guy. And then you'd get the typical run-of-the-mill everyday Jewish person mm-hmm. and he would be the hero. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was just a storytelling model. Just a little bit had. like the lawyer goes into the restaurant. Yeah. And the priest, and the mm-hmm. pastor, and the mm-hmm. rabbi. So know. what it sounds like to me is one possibility is that Jesus is making it clear that the priest was not a single exception to yeah. temple mm. life. Yeah. You know, it's not that's just a good point. priest. It's not just one bad guy that's a rotten apple. Mm-hmm. But no, this mm-hmm. is kind of yeah. a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're involved in the temple. And as such, along the way of being involved in important things, they're missing the thing. Mm. The thing of how 
we express loving God with our whole heart by loving our neighbor. They're missing the thing because they're doing important things. Obviously, in the parable, Jesus is saying all these people or these two people were not neighbors compared to the person who was a neighbor. And I like the way you just expressed that. The repetition shows that there's a lot of folks who aren't neighbors. And in the same way, maybe there's several different rungs in the ladder, you know, that the top level might be the priest, the next level might be the Levite, the next level might be the regular me person. But we've got this overall point of... Here's what it's like to not be a neighbor. Or to not act like a neighbor or to be a person who doesn't recognize who my neighbor is. That's a better way to yeah. put it, Mark. Yeah. Here's an example of what it's like to not be neighborly, yeah. to not recognize a neighbor and not act. Mm-hmm. It can look like this level. It can look like this level. But it's everybody in between the two and everybody below the two and everybody above the two. And so if that's the overall take-home point of it, what do you think Jesus is setting us up for as he then describes who is acting as a neighbor. He's given us the negative, and he begins with Mm -hmm. that. And how might we just summarize that as we look at these characters of the priest and the Levite? Well, I think, first of all, you have to summarize it by exposing the fact that all of their religious observances did not add up to the big thing. Yeah, and what is the big thing? The big thing is this kind of love that was talked about in the opening when the religious scholar, Mm -hmm. who is more like the priest and the Levite than the guy in the ditch, the religious scholar says, what do I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, tell me the law. Mm -hmm. You're an expert. What's Mm -hmm. it say? And he says, well, it's all about love. Yeah. And the point of the law, looking back now, we know that the law was not just something to look at in and of itself, but it was a way of reflecting the very nature of God. God is love. So the laws that he gives to his people are not intended simply to be bindings on them and boundaries, but rather expressions of how you live as my people. Yeah. Which is what it had become. Yeah. It had become yeah. just this ritual. Right. And, and later rigid. on, we know that after Jesus comes to our rescue, he later gives us his spirit. And we know that the spirit now becomes our means of enabling us to love and to act neighborly. So Jesus, through this parable, answering a direct question that the expert in the law was missing, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus is saying, love God and love your neighbor. But then he goes on to really redefine who our neighbor is, how to love them, and how to love God by loving our neighbor. He surprises with a turn away from the emptiness of the law and towards a new understanding, a new redefinition of what love really looks like in life. And in the process, doesn't really explain what we think he should be explaining. Hmm. How do I get rescued? How do I be forgiven? It's kind of like, well, those questions will be answered later on once we realize that the people who think they're living by the law are missing it Mm -hmm. and themselves in desperate need of the kind of savior that Jesus was eventually going to show himself to be, right? So he's revealing what doesn't work before he goes on to answer what will work. So this whole big story is just kind of unfolding a little by little, but we're dipping into it right now to see the very nature of what it means to care about our neighbor. And to love God and to be loved by him in a relationship that Jesus makes possible. Hmm. In this episode of the Discover the Word podcast called Me and My Neighbor, We're working our way through the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, one character at a time. And in doing so, we're narrowing in on the point of this parable. Are you seeing yourself in any of these characters? Well, one final character left 
the Good Samaritan himself, and that he is the hero of this story, uh, that would have been a shocker to anyone listening to Jesus tell it. No one would have expected help to come from him. So why a Samaritan? That's in the concluding segment of this edition of the podcast after this short word about the Our Daily Bread devotional. They say good things come in small packages, and that's certainly the case with Our Daily Bread. A daily scripture reading, a memorable story, and practical application for life. Read Our Daily Bread online at odb.org. Whether it's procrastination or just plain old forgetting, we often miss out on the greatest source of power in our day. To receive Our Daily Bread by mail, call 800-535-5712 or go online to odb.org. Have you ever been offered help from an unlikely source? I mean, like a child or a stranger or someone wearing the garb of another religion? The other thing that comes to my mind is that traveling internationally in the Middle East, there were times when I found such hospitality, Mm -hmm. wonderful, warm hospitality from people who were thought of by people on the other side of the fence as being dangerous, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and as being the enemy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that could go both ways. Mm -hmm. I go international too, Mart. When I was asking that question, I thought of being in Honduras and um, going to just visit to help, I thought. But then I was welcomed into this home and given their one chicken of the week Mm -hmm. to eat. What responses rise up in us when we are offered help from an unexpected source? What happens inside you? I find it, in a healthy sense, humbling. That's probably a better word. I was going to say embarrassing. Well, that's an honest word. But I like humbling better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, embarrass has to do with this, you know, like I should be giving the help. But humbling is like just honored. I think it's a truly humbling experience to receive help when we are the ones who feel like we should give help. We've been in Luke chapter 10 It's been a story that's so familiar to us, and yet as we've been talking about it over the last few days, it's taken on a different kind of understanding, which is often what happens when we're Mm -hmm. here together discovering the Word. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a parable that Jesus tells, but he tells it in response to someone's need, okay? He offers this help to someone who's in need, and who's the person in need? The questioner. The questioner. The expert in the law comes and asks Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him an answer, and then tells a story. But let's go ahead and read it and hear for ourselves how this conversation goes, because Jesus is telling a parable, which is a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, in order to explain a spiritual truth that the questioner is missing. Yeah, and the irony here I think that you're alluding to is that the person who is in need doesn't even realize the extent to which he's in yeah, need, right? Exactly. Right. And I don't think he understands the extent of his need, nor the extent of the help that is being offered to him in this moment. Let's read Luke Mm. chapter 10. And we're going to read down the whole section here. We'll just take turns. Bill, you want to start us off in verse 25? And then let's just take turns. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. 
And the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, well, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and he tells this parable, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A temple assistant walked over. He looked at him lying there, but he also passed on by the other side. Okay, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? This is Jesus asking the expert in the law. And the expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A Samaritan would be a very unlikely source of help, would it not? Yeah, when yesterday we talked about this storytelling method that they had where they would tell stories, the common people would tell stories, and the first bad guy would be a priest and the second bad guy would be a Levite, but then the good guy would be the common Jew. You can almost anticipate the crowd as they're (laughs) listening to the story. They're waiting for their time in the sun to be able to shine a little bit and be the hero And Jesus throws them a curve, Mm. as well as the expert in the law, by highlighting the Samaritan instead of the common Jew. Don't you think this story would have been far more provocative to Jesus' listeners than it is to us? I think so. I think we've gotten used to it. I mean, we talked about a good Samaritan. Everybody knows what that is. It's somebody who's a good neighbor. Yeah. We don't even know what a Samaritan is, really. They would know what a Samaritan was. What was a Samaritan in New Testament culture? Something a lot different to them than it does to us. They were mixed blood people from back in the time when the northern kingdom of Israel was invaded by Assyria. Many of the people were taken captive. The ones left behind intermingled and intermarried with the occupying Assyrians, and the Sumerians were the result of those mixed relationships, and so they were looked down on and hated by the Jews because they were mixed blood, and they hated the Jews for hating them. Mm -hmm. And they lived in separate communities, the Samaritans to the north of Jerusalem. They also kind of messed with the religion. They messed with traditional Judaism. The Samaritans did. The Samaritans did. Well, they had their own mountain in John 4 where Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman. Part of the discussion is about religious differences. You worship there, we worship here. There's all these little details of who's got it right when it comes to... Yeah, they had their own temple. They offered their sacrifices at a different place. And also they had their own version of Scripture of the Old Testament. They would only accept the Pentateuch and they left the rest of it Mm -hmm. out. Therefore, they did build their own temples. And so there's a lot going on here. You see a priest going by, you see a Levite going by, because these are traditional Jews who keep the law, so to speak, and they don't stop. Help comes from a very unlikely source from a Samaritan, a person actually outside... Mm -hmm of the faith, outside of tradition, outside of what the law would require. If we look at verse 33 and then look at verse 37, let's read those again Mm. and listen for the central action that the Samaritan, the unlikely source, offers. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And Mark, your translation says, when he saw him, 
he felt compassion for him. Felt compassion. Does that remind you of anybody else in the New Testament? <laughs> yeah. Constantly, Jesus is being described as having compassion mm-hmm. on the multitudes mm-hmm. or the hurting or the weak. Okay. Then in verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And then verse 37. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Had compassion, mm-hmm. took pity. Yeah. That's a pretty dramatic response. And that's the major element that made and defined Mm -hmm. the Samaritan a neighbor. Now, zoom back into that moment and the religious expert asking the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers with this compassion. And he's talked about the priest. He's talked about the Levite as not having compassion. To me, it has this overwhelming sense of this expert in the law is suddenly going, here comes help offered to me. And A, I didn't even know I needed help. And B, I'm super, as you use the Mm. word, Bill, embarrassed. And as you use the word, Mart, humbled. I can't possibly receive this kind of help. So do you think the religious expert was humbled by the story? We're told that he was a part of a group that was trying to get Jesus in a corner so Mm -hmm. they could dismiss him. And not only that, when Jesus says, who was the neighbor, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He just says, well, the one who had mercy. But he got the point. So I don't know if he felt it, Mart. I can almost imagine, because of what you just said, Bill, that he began to feel it and it was too much to even utter. Mm -hmm. So he couches it with the truth of the one who had mercy. He appears to be losing the high ground. I mean, for sure, he knows that because here he was with a kind of one-upmanship kind of question, and Jesus flips him. And if I understood what you said earlier about the fact that the Samaritans got rid of the rest of the Old Testament, but they kept the Pentateuch, Mm -hmm. that's what the law was found in. So you have the religious leader in the law not living out the law, and the Samaritan who's exhibiting the very thing that the law had said was right. Mm -hmm. This expert in the law fully expects to trip Jesus up fully expects to find out that the way you inherit eternal life is by being perfect with the law. And Jesus flips him and says, no, the real truth is to not only see that help comes to you from an unlikely source, but to be willing to see that you need help. Hmm. And doesn't he come to us in the same way, an outsider from our world saying, I've come to help. And the reality is your neighbor is someone who's going to show mercy. I am here to show you mercy. Will you admit your need for it? I'm sure Jesus took everyone off guard by making a Samaritan the hero of this story. Challenging questions and this first part of our study called Me and My Neighbor. We're in Luke chapter 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you're listening to Discover the Word with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. Yeah, there's no doubt that no one expected Jesus' story to end the way it did. But uh, what Jesus came to bring was something new, something that was going to be surprising. And so a lot of what Jesus taught was unexpected when he taught it, and it can still trip us up today. Well, when Elisa and Bill and Mart pick this up in our next episode, they're going to identify the trigger for the Good Samaritan's actions and how that trigger can put our faith into action too. And bottom line, why did Jesus tell this story? Was it all about social action and being a good neighbor? Don't miss the conclusion of this study, Me and My Neighbor, in our next podcast. 
Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And real quickly, I also want to remind you that it is the voluntary giving of friends like you that makes Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries possible. Our digital and print resources reach people in over 150 different countries around the world. And so when you give, you are helping us to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. You can partner with us in this important mission by giving online on our website at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab there at discovertheword.org. All right, well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedding. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.